the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Ladies and gentlemen, let's begin. You're listening to the best of oral sessions with Renee Paquette. These clips are handpicked by Renee from her to you. This frequency is the best of John Moxley. Oral sessions, yeah. It makes me think of the Offspring You're track. You're impossible to interview. From uh, Ixnay on the Ombre. Intermission. Yeah. Is that where that voice started for you? Yeah. Fun fact, John used to talk in this voice to me all the time on this app called Voxer, but he would do it like saying he was Ryback. And that was his voice and still is his voice for Ryback. If you ever do a Ryback impression, it's with that voice. I'm the big guy. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, He would use that voice. It's not it's not so much impersonating Ryback. It's almost like a uh, it's a new character based on Ryback that I've made up. I haven't done that in years, though. I love Ryback. I miss that guy. Yeah, I, and he lives in Vegas. I'm Sweet guy. We don't ever see him. Sweet big guy. Probably because we never leave our house. We're like total hermits. We never go anywhere. But I prefer it that way. Okay, let's take things all the way back to Sweet Little Baby John. What were you like as a kid? Because I find you are such an interesting adult, just in the sense of like your social skills who you want to hang out with, who you want to spend time with, when your energy picks up or like when you get really quiet. And I feel like you've probably always been like that. First of all, it was adorable. It was very cute. Not a lot of baby pictures of me circulating in the world, but if you saw them, you would melt. (laughs) Dimples. It was a very, very cute child. All right, so you as a kid, what were you like as a kid? Probably pretty quiet. People uh, often describe me as quiet or shy as an adult. I've never described myself as shy because I'm not shy or afraid or timid to talk or express my opinion. I just don't always feel the need to talk. Whereas I feel like a lot of people need to fill the silent spaces like yourself with, uh, yeah, we're the exact opposite. She told me once early on when we were dating, she was just like, I can't believe how comfortable you are with making other people uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Because if I'm sitting at catering or whatever, and there's three, four people at the table, I don't feel the need to just talk, just to hear myself talk or just make conversation or whatever. Like, especially if it's people that I know and I'm comfortable with, I'll just sit there. But she'll feel uncomfortable in silence. And she'll think, she'll be like, aren't you uncomfortable? And I'm like, why should I be uncomfortable? Why should I? I don't have anything to say. I'm just sitting here. I'm eating my chicken. Because my relationship with people is already established in the sense that if I just sat down at a table and didn't speak to anybody, it would be odd because people expect me to sit down and chat and see how everyone's doing and whatever, where you have already set the tone that that's just not what you do. And people have accepted that, that they're just like, that's just how you behave. I talk to people all the time. People talk to me, I talk to them. Sometimes I ask people questions. (laughs) I'm very easy to talk to. I'm just not a chatty Kathy. I I don't think that makes me shy. But as a kid, if I was in a class where there were like friends of mine or people I felt comfortable with, I could be the most talkative kid in the class. Mm -hmm. But then I go to another class where I don't know anybody, I might not say a word the entire school year. So it's just like I I would be like. I, I, I remember kind of even noticing about myself back then, especially in like junior high or so, where like some classes is just like, well, I'm just not going to talk for the next 45 minutes because I don't know anybody. And, Did that make you uncomfortable and like... Or, I, or, or, or I don't like anybody. No, not necessarily. Like what's your like internal dialogue when you're just being so like quiet to yourself? Are you like thinking about what other people are doing or you don't want to talk to them? Like what is the reasoning for not wanting to talk? You don't want to establish new relationships? No, it's not that I don't want to talk. It's just, I don't know. I don't really have an explanation for it. But uh, I spend a lot of time in my own head. 
even in a conversation with somebody, I'll be having a separate conversation with myself, especially when it comes to like talking ideas and creative stuff. I'll be, I'll be listening to somebody and half of my brain will be downloading all that information, but I'll be in a whole nother world with the right half of my brain while they're talking to me. A lot of people don't like that and they find it weird, but. But you're uh, processing. You're processing and you're thinking you're just taking your time. Problems that I have in adulthood with people where people have like issues with the way I am or whatever. Like you're a different type of cat bullshit. Sure. Fuck off. Right. It's real, but it's shit that I've been dealing with and people have been trying to fix since I was in third grade. And it never got fixed. And now, but it's not I'm, a problem. Like I'm, a, you've said. I'm about to be 35, and I feel like I'm a pretty well-adjusted, successful adult. Sure. So I'm not gonna try to fix it now. It's just who I am. It's what it is, you know. And I've gotten a lot better at stuff, and I, I've identified those things that uh, make people feel weird about me. A lot of that comes from being with you. Mm. If we walk into the building, as walking through to the locker room or whatever, you'll pass by like 20 people. She will. Know everybody, everybody on the crew, every single person. Everybody's like Renee, and, and she she knows everybody's like, oh, how's your kid? Your kid's in soccer, right? Oh, how's that going? Oh, how's your wife's thing with the thing? Like she knows everybody's stories, she knows everybody's problems. Everybody feels comfortable with her. Everybody wants to spill their guts to her and confide in her. She knows all this stuff and can withhold all this information. Nobody's gonna come up to me with anything. Yes, that is definitely my my personality type versus your personality type. But there's times that I feel like I burn myself out by giving people so much of my energy and brain space, where you don't do that. You really respect your brain space and your like energy output and input more than I do. Yeah, there's many times. I'm more of a giver in that way, where you really like, you conserve energy and you do what's important to you. It's actually a much better way to fucking go. Yeah, there's many times where, you know, you're overloaded with doing stuff and answering and responding to people and I just go, you need to learn how to not answer your phone. Yeah. You need to learn the art of ignoring people because eventually they'll just stop bothering you. Mm-hmm. You know how many people try to get me to tweet things <laughs> every day? It's not that I'm, I, I don't want to promote my own stuff. I just don't want to be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's not for me. I keep it basically, it's like the emergency broadcast system. If, like, the main event had to change tonight, or I got injured, I got to pull out of a match, or something like a charity thing or something important, or you know, it, it's for emergencies only, and it's only outgoing information. Well, what will you tweet about my cookbook? I'm not... Com- yeah. <laughs> because I have to, right? I might throw it out there. That was a decent pause. Hey, yeah, yeah. And you got more followers than I do, though, you know? It, you know, it, it's strictly for outgoing information. It's basically a bulletin board. I'm not communicating with people. And I don't want to get sucked into it. I don't want to hashtags and all that. Like I did one the other day because Jeff Jones, who I love, is our social media guy. And the toy people, the Mattel or whoever, are all up his ass to like get him to tweet a picture of his new toy. And he's like, oh, man, I hate to ask you. but And I, I don't want to make him look like a jerk. You know, so I'm like, all right, for Jeff... I will do it. So I tweet the picture of the toy. But also people are up, up my ass to promote shit all the time. And it's not that I don't want to promote my things, but it's like, I just don't want to be, it's only, it's only there for emergencies. And it's like, if I do it for one person, mm-hmm. then I have to do it for everybody. You know, I just, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to have Twitter. I might just get rid of it. But again, but, like, know. I think, I think that's just like another thing that comes back to like the conservation of energy and you protect your energy from bullshit that you don't need. I mean, we look at like that that documentary, like Social Dilemma, of how many people are glued to their phones and are obsessed with getting that like quick instant high of how many likes did I get, who's following me, who's whatever the fuck people scroll through their phones for. And that's something that you don't have. And I feel like but, you've, I, but I feel like you under- like beat the system. No, I mean I understand it, and I'm as vulnerable to it as anybody. Because if I'm bored at an airport or an airplane, and I find myself reading ridiculous articles and going into rabbit holes on YouTube and this and that or whatever, then I realize like I've just been looking at my phone for an hour, and it makes me feel like mentally dead and gross, it's horrible. And I feel like I feel weird. Yeah, I don't. It know? puts me in. A, I, I get in a bad mood. Yeah. I can feel it. I do a lot of put my phone on airplane mode, especially when I'm at the gym. That's one hour. What could happen in this hour 
where you have to talk to me. Well, that's why you got to get the Apple Watch because it puts your phone on side. I do not do Apple. No Apple products for this guy. We got like a Samsung watch. Samsung day. all day, every day. I don't want to be on the cloud. I don't want you hacking my information. I don't like Apple. Mm, and that's fine. All right. I don't, I don't actually, I don't like the iPhone. If I use your phone, I can't. My fingers are too big or the buttons are too small. I don't like it. I don't know. I like the Samsung. It's a big screen. I'm a Samsung guy. He's a green texter, everybody. All day, every day. Sweet little MDK. Sweet little Jonathan. So you're a quiet kid. You're kind of keeping to yourself. You're doing your own thing. Did you start to get into trouble as a kid? Like when did that kind of start to happen? That you like became like mischievous or like wanted to like act out or what have you? Well, I come from a particular area in Cincinnati called Piccadilly. A sort of a notorious bad reputation type uh, row of... is this big area of apartments. Government housing or subsidized housing, whatever that is. A lot of, Like everybody, different owners for a lot of the different uh, apartment buildings. So they all look different or kept in different states of disrepair. Everybody's poor. Everybody's, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, Trailer park type stuff. Everybody's fighting all the time. It was constant fights, constant. Uh, you were getting in fights? Everybody fought, everybody, every two seconds. Look at somebody the wrong way, you're getting attacked, you're getting jumped. Like when I got my bike stolen, I had a Huffy Dirt Dog. First bike I ever had. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I'm an innocent child at this point. Put that bitch on you the. You must have been the sweetest boy. Put that, put that bitch on the kickstand, leave it out front of my apartment. Next morning, it's gone. That was like a legit moment where I think my mindset in the world changes, where I went, fuck everyone. The world's out to get you. Everybody sucks. Stay in your own bubble because everybody's out to get you and everybody is trying to take something from you. It like really, it really fucked me up getting my bike stolen when I was a little kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but your innocence gets taken from you. You get hardened like, on the world. Yeah. I mean, as, as simplistic as that sounds, like, oh, you got your bike stolen when you're a kid, poor you. Like, there's a lot worse things that have happened to a lot of people. But it did like put a certain switch in my mind. Where I was kind of not trusting of anybody, you know? Like, this is the kind of kids that be in Piccadilly. So I'm riding my bike. There's three kids, and they're like, hey, come on over here. Like, whatever. I'm super young. I can't really remember the whole conversation or whatever. But they're talking to each other, and they're like, yeah, yeah. D- you know, didn't you say you wanted to fight him? I'm like, no. No, like, oh, no, you wanted to fight him. The, the, he has to fight us. Then, no, tell him he has to fight us, doesn't he? And they're all, like, kind of laughing between the three of them or whatever. And then the one grabs the back of the seat. He kind of got behind me, goes back of the seat, flips it over. I go ass over tea kettle. Like, have you ever just been soccer kicked in the in the ribs? No. It's the worst. And they just beat the fuck out of me. They're a couple years older than me, maybe like 11, 12. Which is a big difference like, when you're a kid. Literally for no reason. Just like flagging me over the side of the road, beat the fuck out of me. Like literally for nothing. I'm all fucked up. I'm like, I got black eyes. I'm all confused. You know, I was like... Oh, and that, that's that, so awful. That's just the kind of people. I would kick the shit out of those kids. Yeah, too. I mean, there are worse places and there are worse, you know, like, there, there are literal, literal war zones in the world that you grow up in, in other parts of the world where you can get your you don't have arm to, blown. You don't have to downplay You can get your arm blown off with a bomb and, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, Piccadilly wasn't that bad, but it, it was just, it was just a negative place to live. So then did you start getting, like, mixed up with some of these bad kids? Oh, good, you have to. Because it's either that. Their friend, yeah. I mean, that's like survival. And then you get like strength and empowerment by hanging out with other people, like being on the team instead of being like an outsider of the team. Yeah. You know? So we, we do what was called like car dipping. You know, you go through the neighborhood or whatever and just check every unlocked car. And if somebody didn't like their car, you get in and you run your hands along the floors and in the seats and check the glove box and just get change or CDs or like whatever you can steal from the car. Literally, yeah, just cigarettes, lighters, whatever, you know, just gather and change, you know. Then you go to like the Coinstar machine and cash it in at the grocery store. And then like everybody shoplifted everything. I've talked about jokingly how I used to shoplift wrestling tapes and stuff, all this, but that's true. I knew the difference between right and wrong, but like everybody just stole because we didn't have money. You, yeah. That's how you got stuff. I had a lot of, you know, just traditional angst and teenageriness or whatever. The thing that really kind of like really made things make sense that like really switched the, the gear for me was wrestling. When I started wrestling. Like high like, school wrestling or professional wrestling? 
like youth wrestling at like okay. 11 years old. Okay. Now things started to make sense to me because now I was like part of a group in a better way. I'm not like part of a group of kids like, you know, like just hanging out on the street corner playing hacky sack and smoking weed and Almost talking like that. Shit. Remember that Sarah Silverman clip I made you watch the other day of like you go towards the love, you go to where you're accepted, whether it's something bad or good, but it's something you're accepted into. So you just kind of do it to do it. Yes, exactly. And like being a wrestler was like being part of a gang. But, like, in a good way. Because it was, like, this is the hardest sport in the world. Only the hardest-nosed people do this. We work harder than everybody. It's a ton of discipline that yeah, comes and, along and it, with it. Yeah, Respect. Cause, yeah, because wrestling is the hardest, hardest sport. The trait of wrestlers as they go into other uh, parts of their life or other sports is the mental toughness. I'm not very gifted or skilled, particularly athletically. I can't do a backflip 450. Can't springboard and... Twist and twirl and all you that shit. You tried to do a moonsault once. Tried is the uh, <laughs> operative word. Like I, like, I always say, like, I can't run very fast, but I can run for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Because I learned mental toughness. I can fucking suffer. And that's been a blessing and a curse to be able to do that. Why do you say that? What's a curse of being able to endure suffering? Maybe I should have taken days off. Got it. Or taken time off. Or... Uh, Said no to or something. Just, or been like, maybe I'm hurt. Maybe maybe I shouldn't work through this injury. Got it. Or maybe I should say no to this bump or not just be like, I'm indestructible and I'll just mentally go through it mm-hmm. and then pay the price years and years later. When you were a kid growing up in Piccadilly, did the idea of being famous even ever enter your brain? Did that seem like something that was attainable to you then? No, because one, it's impossible. Like when you're 12, it all seems ridiculous to say you know you want to accomplish some ridiculous goal but you know if you want it bad enough and you put in the work and it takes a lot of work you can do anything in the world and then one night if you're lucky you may defend the wwe championship successfully at master's square garden and then make love to your wife in the middle of times square (laughs) that was the best well we weren't married back then we weren't we weren't but i got a uh we weren't married you know Left the show, hopped on a subway up to Times Square where we were, uh, I got a, like a hotel with a, like a porch, like really a little cool. patio, right in Times Square, right where the ball drops, all the hustle and bustle of New York City. The big the, Broadway The sign. media capital of the world. We Took just, it to Pound Town, just, brother. just got naked. <laughs> it was amongst, really fun. Amongst the lights of NYC, you know? That was such a fun night. I mean, obviously, for all of those reasons, but that will be a night that I will always remember. Like, I'm going to, like, tell, like, our kids at some point. They probably won't want to hear that story, but too yeah. bad. Like, no, literally nobody can say anything to criticize me ever for the rest of my life. They can be like, yeah, you suck as a wrestler. I'm going to be like, dude, I defended the WWE Championship in Madison Square Garden and then banged my hot wife in the middle of Times Square. Bam. I'm done. Bam. I'm done. Yeah. Cash out. Signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so you're just, like, dealing with the success that you've been able to have. Because you're, like, kind of, you're not a great famous person. No, I, I, don't, really, I don't really care for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't enjoy that aspect that comes along with the profession that you've chosen. No, I, I, I like the, uh, you know, money is a great tool to, you know, provide for your family and help others and so forth like that. And, uh to secure your needs. I lived so much of my life having literally no money. Like the day I signed with WWE, I literally had no money. You didn't have a bank account. I was living with my boy Dev and I had to go with his girlfriend to her bank to cash the first, like they give you like a moving check and I didn't have a bank account to cash it. So I had to go with her and cash it through her bank. So I just had a giant wad of cash and like a bag and a box with a few things in it, and my beater car when I drove down to Florida from Philly was all I literally had to my name. I'm just so used to having no money that I just want to hoard it all. Right. I think the benefit to that was I never got expensive tastes. Like, I don't need to buy anything. I don't buy anything. You don't like anything like I don't, Like, you don't like going out to I don't know. Thing. You don't like going to a nice restaurant. Like, none of that stuff appeals to you. I don't know what this shirt is. Alexis on fire. It came in the mail free. She gets a bunch of stuff in the mail. This is some shirt I got for free. This hat is a violent gentleman hat. They sent it to me for free. My truck is five years old at this point. I'll I bought that in cash and I will drive that until the wheels fall off. 
I don't ever feel the need to buy another house. Love this house. Hopefully, you don't make me move if you get like the Kelly Ripa gig or something like that. I don't know. Who but knows? like, I just, I don't have any expensive tastes. I have nothing to buy. But, but that part of it is nice. Of but course. the famous part of it, I don't care for that. It's part. like a burden to you. If I could just make the same money and wrestle down at the local rec center in front of 500 people every weekend, I would do that. I just want to wrestle. Yeah. I like, I like getting in there. I like telling stories. I like doing the physicality. I, I just, I love the feeling at the end of the night when you've like emptied your gas tank and you've really told a great story and it all hit on all cylinders. It was, it was hot and you're feeling the crowd and the electricity and you're like, you just want to like have a cigarette and relax and you're like, that was fucking awesome. And you're like in the afterglow, like, I, and you're bleeding and, sweating and you know having caked blood in your face and, oh man it's the best it's the best <laughs> feeling in the world like that's the feeling Loves it. that's the feeling i'm chasing the the feeling of people like talking about me or whatever people who like being famous get off on i don't get off on that i, I don't care what well, kind of goes I, you know, back to the very first thing where like you don't like to talk all that much sometimes if you're uncomfortable in the situation or like if somebody approaches you and wants a photo or wants to like, they want to get their John Moxley experience if they see you out in public. And it usually doesn't go that way because you don't like that. Experience. No, I'm very nice to people. You're, no, I'm not saying you're not nice to people. You're nice to people, but you are still just like, hey, how's it going? Like you are abrupt in a way that like you don't like engage beyond usually. Again. You will find a lot of people have had a lot of nice interactions with me. I can be, I'm not saying they're not nice. nice. I wasn't um, saying they're not nice. No, honestly, like, uh, when we first started doing uh, meet and greets and stuff, like, we went from being, uh, but we, I mean, talking about the Shield, we were in FCW in an island, literal nobodies. Nobody knew who we were. If you're not a wrestling fan and you're listening to this, what I'm talking about is, the group I was with. If you're not a wrestling fan and you're listening to this, I don't know how you found this podcast, but welcome. The group I was with, we were from the kind of the equivalent of a farm system in wrestling in Florida. We were absolute nobodies. Nobody knew who we were. We were making gas money. We're nobodies. Came onto the scene a matter of months later, all of a sudden we're the fucking Backstreet Boys. Like we're going I to- would have gotten the Beatles, but okay. Whatever. We're like a fucking boy band all of a sudden. We're like going to malls. Did you have been the next? There's chicks going crazy. I don't. No, no, I don't know the reference. <laughs> he was the heartthrob. Well, that would have been me then for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's like chicks going crazy. There's, you know, and now I'm meeting all these people and like, I don't know how to talk to people, you know? So it's yeah. like, it's very weird for me to like, people are like, oh my God, I love you so much. And I'm like, I don't know you. Thank you. But like, I, I just don't know how to, I don't know how to behave in this scenario. But over time. Well, Seth and, and, and Roman then, are both good at that. So did it kind of save you? Oh, especially then when we start doing the uh, the make-a-wishes. Being in WWE kind of helped me learn, as strange as it sounds, it kind of helped me learn better social skills. I have to learn how to, like, talk to people I don't know and... I mean, you have to, like, initiate a sp- the conversation and... Yeah, especially... Or, like, when I have to... Especially some of these make-a-wishes, the person is shy. But sure. you have to make this a good experience for them, so you have to... But I got it down to a science. You know, they give me the details. I'm like, what's the kid's name? Where's he from? That's all I need to know. Like, we're good. Like, I learned how to be a person in the public eye. Mm-hmm. It took actual work. It was like a skill to develop. Of course. It's not easy to do. I mean, that's a very difficult I mean, for, thing. For some people, of maybe not. how to say the right thing. I think that's got to be hard for no, anybody. But the, the difference between me... Of course. ...in 2011 to now is totally different. I would say there's a big difference from like when you and I first started dating till now. I mean, that was only like a two year difference from 2011, anyways. But like, I think there's a big difference in the way that you're able to handle situations like that. Because being with you like highlighted all those things about myself, you know? But it's a great partnership because now people know that I'm not going to answer their call, so they'll just call you. It's They'll actually be- a bit of a raw deal that, yeah, I take all the phone calls. I remember all the birthdays. I do all that oh, yeah. stuff. It's great. Yeah, I, I have all that shit together. It's great, but there's things I'm better at that I take care of. Like you know? what? Driving. Uh, <laughs> I do all the driving. I don't even think that's true. Uh, you just always happen to drive. Because I don't trust you to drive. I'm not a bad driver, though. I've never been in an accident. Texter. I am not. Don't you dare. And I, and I don't want to be the day that it happens. 
It's not me. I, I'm not a text driver. Yeah, but it's a good it's a good system we have. We do have a good system. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now with wrestling, we don't need to harp on anything wrestling wise because I feel like you have been able to talk about that so much uh, in different interviews and whatnot. But what do you plan on doing to maintain longevity of your career? Because as you've said, I mean, you just fucking love wrestling, but it's obviously incredibly hard on your body. It's super taxing. The schedule can be gnarly. Well, like, how do you plan on maintaining that? Or are you just going to kind of like figure it out as you go? No, because the mistake I made before, as I was telling you earlier, work, 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 work. Work ultimately pays off. But a lot of times you have to work smarter, not harder. Doing things in training and so forth to try to increase mobility and, and so forth. And, like, I don't have a problem taking just a full rest day. Whereas, like, I'm kind of a training freak. You have gotten a lot better at that, definitely. Kind of a training addict freak where, like, even if it's, you know, a day off, I still end up running fucking five miles for some reason. Just because I feel like I have to work. I can't sit around and do nothing. I have to do something today. You know? But a rest day is good for recovery and mm-hmm. so forth. And uh, I'm about to be 35. And yeah, you are. There's a lot of miles for 35. The career I had before this, as far as like death matches and, you know, a lot of stupid stuff I did in my body and stuff. Uh, and just, you know, regular wrestling and training and all the time at WWE of, you know, years of, like, literally going through multiple tables every single night and driving a bazillion miles every single night and being on every plane and every tour. And, like, I didn't miss a day of work, as you know, for years. Yeah. Until I got Until we went on our honeymoon. Really was... Yeah, that was the first... That was the first time. And I'd already already torn my tricep. Yeah. I'd already been working on a torn tricep by then. I took one one TV off... In six years. That torn tricep, like, fucked up our honeymoon because you were in so much pain. Ruined my fucking honeymoon. We didn't know what it was. uh, We didn't know what was wrong with it. We didn't know it was torn then. Yeah, I think the travel more so than anything. When you combine travel, when you take all, you know, get beat up and take all those bumps, get choked, slammed through tables, and then you get in a car. Sure. For, you know, you know. Checking into a hotel. You're in a different bed every night. Yeah, fucks up all your shit. And, you know, it's the life we live, and it's part of the job or whatever. There's also some uh, fun that comes with that. If I just kept on doing that at the same pace... I wouldn't have lasted long. And I, I, I could feel my physical window. Not that it's closing, but I can f- feel the distance now. Getting a little tight. I'm not going to say I can feel it closing, but I'm, but I'm aware of it now. And I want to keep it open and extend, and I want to be able to wrestle as long as I possibly can. I'd like, like to be 50 and wrestle. You know, I'd like If we had kids, I'd like them to be able to come and see me wrestle. Hell and yeah. I just want to do, I like to do physical stuff. So over the next year or two, I'll make a, I'll just kind of see where I'm at physically and make a decision. This uh, whole pandemic situation really changed the uh, the year and made it a lot less busy for me. It made it, so don't, as much as the pandemic has obviously been fucking awful but, for the world. But also I've been having super physical matches and been going back and forth to Jacksonville, which is a bitch. Jacksonville's a great town. Daly's Place is a great venue. It's perfect for what we're doing. I'm, I'm glad that we have it. It's a blessing that we have such a great venue to run safely in. But getting from Jacksonville to Vegas and back and back and forth is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Like the West Coast guys are like, oh, man, this is a bitch because it's a, it's a full day of travel. But when you were on the road with WWE, like a majority of shows were always on the East Coast. So we were doing that every single week with drives in between town and you're doing house shows on top of that. Like it was just a grind no matter what. Yeah, like those first couple of years, I mean, the Shield, we were on a road Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Every week for two years straight, be home for thirty six hours. Sometimes was, you wouldn't uh, even go home though. Right? No, a lot of that. A lot of that I was single, so like, there's no ooh, point. Ooh la la! Uh, what were you doing? Back in my glory days, free bachelor, everybody. I wouldn't ooh, even ooh. wouldn't even bother go home. I'll just go right to the next town because what's the point of going all the way back to Vegas and then turning sure. right back around? You know. Yeah. So, uh, but I didn't mind it. I mean, it was an adventure back then. I was having a great time, you know. But to answer your question, I, I'm going to try to <laughs> I'm going to reevaluate. 
here, you know, in the next year or two and see where I'm at and then just kind of make a plan from there. With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights. Because right now, you can place your first bet risk-free. That's right. You're going to get up to 1000 bucks back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There's parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. FanDuel is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's incredibly easy to use. It's such a no-brainer. Plus, it's safe and secure and real quick, fast payouts. You get that money right back in your pocket ASAP. One of my favorite features. You got to stay rich, you know, keep that money in your bank account. This app is so easy to use that when you win, you actually get paid in as little as two hours. So with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make your FanDuel fight night even more exciting. That is why they are America's number one sports book. So sign up with the promo code Renee to bet risk-free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That is promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. the romance season it's valentine's day actually it's after valentine's day when this airs but it's pre-valentine's day when we're taping this what did you plan for me this is your valentine's gift why is this my gift you should be supporting me in my career endeavors anyways i do so you didn't get me anything you're not planning on getting me anything this is a big deal (laughs) It's like kind of a big deal, but the thing with you, when I, so I asked John to do this, of course, it's like, oh, do I have to, I don't, I don't know. But once we get going, you always get into this stuff, especially because we're not even talking about wrestling at all. This is just love. And we brought in Dr. Feelgood. We've got a lot of good questions on the internet. Well, luckily I'm here and it's not just you doling out insane advice to people. I'm a man of practicality. I don't give people real world solutions to their problems. Well, here's the funny thing about you is you just in real life, when we're like hanging out, shooting the shit, you love giving like relationship advice. Cause you truly think you are the love doctor. You think you've got it all figured out. I do. How do you think you have it all figured out? I what have... makes you the expert besides catching this hell of a big well, yeah, bass? I, have, I have a whole, uh, I had a whole theory and it proved to be a a hundred percent success rate. Okay. What's your theory? My theory was don't compromise at all. I mean, you've like kind of dated slash whatever the hell you were doing before we got together, but you need to like learn what you like and what you don't like. That's what like the dating parts for. Yeah. And at a certain point you do. And then you piss me off like one time, you're out. That's such bullshit, though. I've pissed you off a million times. Never. How many times have I fucking infuriated you? That's different, though. You're already in. <laughs> okay. That, that was, I waited that, that, was, that was a harsh way to put too. it. I kind of like hooked you in before I pissed you off. That was a that was a harsh way to put it. Here's what I'm trying to say: People want to be in relationships. They want to have a girlfriend. They want to have a boyfriend. They see other people and they go, oh, I want to have, I want to be in a relationship. I want a significant other. So they try hard to have one. So that you start dating somebody or whatever. And then you shouldn't have to accept a ton of bullshit. It should be a lot easier than that. And then that's ultimately what leads to crappy marriages and people uh, 
wasting years of their life and then putting children through divorce and so right, forth. Right, right, right. It's because they tr- they force it when it shouldn't need to be forced. So what I mean by like having a zero tolerance policy is that, you know, we can hang out and have a good time and date and whatever. And, you know, canoodle, canoodle, but I'm not, I'm not going to canoodle before me. Never. (laughs) No, I made a vow in Catholic (laughs) school. Thank you. You shouldn't try too hard to make it something that it's not. You know what I mean? And my theory was why work so hard? Because let's see a lot of my friends do this. And I'd be like, dude, you're like in your 20s, man. Why are you focusing on one woman when there's all these women out there? Now, I was not opposed to the idea of like monogamy or settling down or even getting married or anything like that. But I figured, what are the odds? Yeah, if like the perfect girl came along, sure. But like, that's not going to happen. So I just uh, figured I'd be just a solo act and just enjoy time with many great women you know (laughs) and there i've known and had the privilege of spending time with many beautiful and intelligent and smart amazing women slow down you know relax but uh, that great but it wasn't you know ultimately it was around pegging the square hole whereas your hole is (laughs) the same shape as (laughs) it goes right in I know it just kind of happened, but it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I tweeted out to get uh, some questions from you guys to do some relationship advice because this is our Valentine's Day episode. We are here. We've brought in the love doctor, Dr. Feelgood, and we went to Twitter and we got some cues. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. First question this is from Buzz Mongold. My girlfriend has been unemployed for 10 months by choice. She hardly leaves the bed or house. How do I go about getting her motivated to get back out there? I can't afford to support both of us. And it's taking a strain on the relationship. Oh, that's not even so much relationship advice as it is just uh, any friend of this person. Why is this person choosing to be unemployed? Is there a reason for that? It sounds like she may have uh, other issues going on, be depressed or not in a good place, or maybe it's the pandemic or, you know, I, I need a little more details to really uh but hey it's understandable 2020 is a rough year for everybody tough. a lot of people are uh been stuck in their house not working and so forth like that but i would explain the reality of the situation and be like yo i bring in x amount of dollars a month our apartment or whatever costs x amount of dollars it costs x amount of dollars to pay for gas electricity and uh food and so forth so at this rate if you don't get a job we're going to have to move or be broke or what well, you want to move in with your parents or oh live in a car God. or, you know, I mean, just put it in X's and O's that like, uh, that's very black and white. You can't have gray area of just meandering about. I mean, again, like you said, it's like you spend some time pandemics weird. That's putting people in a weird spot. There's a lot of depression going on, especially if you're not getting out of bed. It sounds like she must be going through some depression issues. She doesn't want to get out of bed every day. Like that's a whole other can of worms. How do you motivate somebody? You're going to shake this person awake. You know, you only live once. 10 months is a long time to be stuck in the house, you know? Yeah. Ultimately, you're just, you know, you're just making the problem worse, you know? Nothing. nothing enabling. Well, both of them are. Nothing good is going to happen just laying around in bed, you know, and get, and get her moving, you know? Just got to be a... I would need uh, more details to give an exact plan of action, you know? But whatever she does, find a job opening or an opportunity in that area. That's a good idea. So that's some options or to her. places where she could seek that out or whatever. And, uh, you know, you might have to kick her ass in the right direction because it doesn't seem like she's doing anything for herself. Maybe like find some passion projects and find a way to turn like that into a job in some way. I do like the idea of like, yeah, sending her some job opportunities or being like, Hey, this might be cool. Or maybe you'll be interested in this. But it's really tricky if you're dealing with depression on top of that, where I'm kind of with you, where like you kind of just want to shake someone and tell them to like shake it off and get back to it. But that doesn't always work. I mean, depression is a very tricky thing and I'm not a doctor. So that's that's a tough one. Um, Best of luck to you, my dude. I hope that it works out. Ten months is a long time to kind of be figuring all that stuff out. Okay, this question comes from Al Snow, not the Al Snow, but an Al Snow. Um, okay, Renee and John, what is the ideal indulgent romantic meal to get when you still need energy to get it on after? 
Oh, we don't want to go too heavy. And, uh, you know, what's a, what's a good aphrodisiac? Uh, mussels that's or oysters, that, I think. That's what they say, but you run the risk of uh, getting sick. Just like don't buy them from like the gas station and you should be good. This dude might be trying to buy muscles at 7-Eleven. Don't, want to <laughs> don't do that. Or, don't pick your own muscles. I don't know if unless you're qualified that. to go shucking. I would say try to try to do it before. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You always bang before the meal. You see, must. See, because what happens is after girls indulge in a, uh, you said it was an indulgent meal that, you know, they love an indulgent meal. Love. They love to be showered with uh, romantic cuisine. But then they then they feel fat and they don't want to get naked. It's not that. It's that the bloat. I mean, I guess the bloat and the fat. It's more uncomfortable. You don't feel sexy after the meal. You feel sexy before. And the key is getting it on before um, while everything's hot and heavy. Have a little have a little pre cocktail. Have like a glass of wine or two. Yeah. That's like the sweet spot. Get her like a little wine buzz. A little, have champagne. Some, champagne have some bread and butter. The calamari, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, we like a calamari. Ahi tuna or something. Oh, yeah, coconut shrimp. Something seafoody. We like seafood. Mostly you want to get her buzzed. Get the music right, get the attitude right, get the conversation going. You know what I mean? Then get that out of the way. And then it's like. Uh, but like, don't get it out of the way. Take your sweet time down there. If you know what I'm saying? And then it's almost like a post workout meal. You're yeah. like, all right, time to refuel, you know? Then you can fully indulge and be like, you know what? We've already done it. I wore my cute outfit. You might not even have to go back to the cute outfit. You could have been been there and done that and then just get into like the food part. And you'll enjoy it more too. You know, eating your club sandwich or whatever, French fries. I don't care how good the meal is. You're not going to be focused on it. What's the real motive here? What are are we we trying to accomplish? Um, One thing that I would highly suggest though, for a romantic meal, remember when I made this for us for Valentine's, I think it's for Valentine's Day, maybe it was for you birthday. I think it's for Valentine's day a couple of years ago, which is in my cookbook that you can buy on Amazon right now, uh, is my squid ink pasta with, uh, it comes, it's this like beautiful seafood sauce. Like y- if you want to take it to pound town, have a squid ink pasta. That is sexy as all hell. Oh yeah. It was a squid ink pasta that really got me all <laughs> got me in the right headspace. <laughs> you think I, even, I didn't remember what you were going to say. That's my point. Did you think the guy gives a shit about the meal? Some might. You're hard to please with food because all you're you trying, want is granola bars and club sandwiches. I'm trying to focus on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, here's a good one uh, from Michael Gonzalez. Is it a good idea to date your best friend's sister? Hashtag Dr. Feelgood. If it's a match and like a legitimate relationship, then for sure. But if you just want to hook up with her, probably not worth opening up that can of worms. Because what if that ends like really badly? Or what if she turns out to be nuts and then you can never get rid of her because she's your best friend's sister? Or if they're just not a match. She doesn't have to be crazy. If it's like a real good match and y'all make a good thing and it, then it'll just naturally happen. And then your friend will be cool with that because it'll just be a, it'll just work out nicely. You got to let it simmer. You've also got to know that she is reciprocating your feelings. If you are just like yearning over this woman and not sure how she feels about you, that's you're running a big risk with that. But if you kind of know yeah, that, that, that like super connections, there, yeah, if you guys got like a chemistry and everything and always so bumping forth, into each other, and then, little like flirty moments, then just let it play out naturally. But if it's just like, man, I want to bang my friend's sister. I'd avoid that one. That's so ask yourself, do I just want to bang her or do I actually do I love her? Yeah. Okay. My friend and I were debating how much is good sex, a valid part of a relationship. I think that if you're not satisfied sexually, it should be addressed ASAP. And if it can't be fixed, is it an acceptable reason to break up? Oh, hundred percent. If the sex is the shits, so you got to get out of there. Well, I mean, you could improve it. You can improve upon it. It's like anything else. You know, you got to work at it, I guess. But, you know, you shouldn't have to work at it too much. Shouldn't have to work at it too much. Yeah. I also do think that people kind of like the sex has to be bad for it to be bad sex because pretty much all sex is good sex. Right. Yeah. To be like that sex is terrible that you need to address it. That's got to be. Yeah. That's good. I don't even know what you do to work on it, to be honest with you. Physical connections. No joke. You must have that. There. Physical connection. That's a way to put it without sounding like a pig. (laughs) But sex is very important. It is important. There's no shame in saying that. There's nothing gross about saying that. It is important. Yeah, the more sex, the better. Look at all the uh, 
a crappy relationship she's seeing or like bad marriages or whatever. I bet they're not having any sex. It's crazy to me when you hear people that like that have not had they sex have, they like have other problems. Like that's crazy. Yeah, but they have other problems, but that's definitely gonna be a symptom of it. And yeah. then that's gonna drive you nuts because your brain needs it. Yes. All the chemicals. You need physical intimacy. You need that from your partner. Yeah, your brain needs it. You know, you should have sex before making any serious decisions. 100%. You know, like they always tell you, you know, you should, before you go out, you should always jerk off. Really? Who said that to you? Oh, it's just a known thing. Really? Yeah, because you you don't want to go out there all crazy, you know? Wait, you mean like just like going out for a night with like your friends or just like in general? Before you do anything, really, before you make any smart or any decisions, you know, it's (laughs) always good to, uh, to yank one out. Yeah. Yeah. Basically in a relationship, you should be having tons of sex. Yeah. You can't have too much sex. What do you think is an, nobody's acceptable- ever said, God, I'm sick of all this. You know, it well, keeps it- that's not true. Cause sometimes you can like be walking away a little sore. I mean, worst case scenario, but that's a good situation to be in. I think, what do you think is an acceptable amount of sexual relations during a week? Amongst two consenting adults. Oh, depends on the week. Depends where you are. Just a regular. I mean, what, if, what if you're on vacation? No, nah, it's you know? just a regular standard week. I don't know. What do you think? I think like three, three, four times. That's a minimum. Three, four. It's like, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I think that's reasonable. Okay. Dark Angel, um, three, five, nine, seven. Uh, me and my boyfriend have been together for six years and he still hasn't popped the question. Are we still meant to be or are we not meant to be? Six years, six years is a long time. Who's to say you have to do that? Like, what does it really mean? Other than a couple of tax breaks or whatever, it's just a piece of paper. Why does the government have to be involved? Why does it have anything to do with other taxes? I don't know. But here's the thing about marriage is that it shouldn't change anything drastically. True. For example, my dad and his wife were together for years. By the time they get married, it was a formality, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, we're getting married. And I think everybody's reaction was the same. It was like, you guys aren't already married? Oh. So by then, they'd already lived together. Their lives were already exactly as they were going to be. And there was nothing new to happen. It shouldn't be like, okay, we're not married. Do we take this huge step and get married and our lives change forever? And oh my God, are we going to be together forever? And yada, yada. Like, and if you have to even think for like a half a second what the answer is to the question, then you shouldn't be getting married yet. By the time you actually go through the process of getting married it should be like an old hat a formality by that point yeah is the best way to put it here's the other thing i will say though from the female point of view guys are slow on the draw guys sometimes take a long ass time to get their shit together when it comes to marriage and proposals and all that stuff i mean yes i know that women maybe like think about marriage differently or they think about like that wedding day differently that you can't, it's sometimes just about like having like that day and they do want it to be like a celebrated, nice thing. And I just think dudes don't really think about it like that all the time. So sometimes you need like a little swift kick in the ass. I also just feel like people in general, just be open and honest in the conversation or in the relationship. Talk about things, flush it out. There's yeah. no shame in that. If you don't know where your all's headspace is at regarding this issue, then what the hell's going on? No communication. Let's what the hell do you guys it. talk about? Yeah, man, shake it Jesus up. Christ. Hot damn. All right. It's from- yeah, and for the brother, I would say, assuming you're going to be with this person forever, if you're not, cut the bait right now. But if you are, just do whatever she wants. If she wants a wedding, do the wedding. Because it's just it's just easier to just give them what they want. I don't give <laughs> shit about a wedding. A wedding is my Well, nightmare. we barely had one. Yeah. So could have been a lot. No, could have been a lot cooler if you'd had any fucking patience whatsoever. But that should start burning a hole in her pocket as soon as she got a marriage license. Because you're slow. Guys are so fucking slow sometimes. Like we've had our marriage license. Oh, she's out here like, oh, I learned patience. You don't learn shit. I got things to do. But but you rushed it. Got places to go and things to do. Um, okay, so next question from uh cat, internet meanie. Hopefully you're not one of those internet meanies. When did you know that you wanted to marry each other? Was there a specific moment that made you go, oh shit, I'm in love? Not in particular, really. I kind of feel the same way. It's funny. I had a friend ask me that the other day. He was like, how did you guys like get together or like what makes you guys click like that? And I was I, I don't really have an answer. It just is. Yeah. All that magical stuff is in the movies, man. It ain't real. Like when it's right, it's right. Like we're married from the minute we met each other, basically. Right. 
Yeah. Like we've just always been together, which I understand is like a yeah, my, bit of a rare thing. Yeah. My mentality was like, I'm never going to get married. I'm never even really going to have a girlfriend. I'm just going to be a solo act, live my just life. And about town. I like things just the way they were. That's why you moved out to Vegas yeah. and I crashed in, your party. Unless, like, I mean, not completely opposed to the idea. If like the perfect woman came along or something like that, but that ain't going to happen. And then she came along and I went, oh, Oh, so I guess we're just together forever. Okay, never mind. And it was like that. It wasn't even a question. There was no like Oprah aha epiphany moment. It was just like, oh, you're like my guy. You're my dude. That's just always how it's been with us. Like I couldn't imagine a situation where we like weren't together or like a reason like, I don't know. I like the idea of us not being together. Like I couldn't, I can't even imagine it. Do you Mm. imagine? Ew. Every day. (laughs) Go to hell. Uh, does your wild husband cook something delicious for you or does he prefer to clean the kitchen behind you from Nalon 1984? Uh, neither, actually. He doesn't clean the kitchen or cook for me. Do you have anything to defend yourself? Like I don't clean the kitchen at all. Barely. I clean as much as you. That's false. I don't know. I'm always Do you even know where we keep the cloths? Doing dishes. You've never cleaned a dish in your life. That is not true. I've never seen you clean a dish. You'll do, you'll empty the just, dishwasher and all that, but you won't actually, like if there's like a cutting board or something, it put, doesn't go in the dishwasher, you don't touch those. Yeah, I put them in there. But those need to be hand-washed. I've done that. I don't know. I'm skeptical on that one. I'm not feeling strongly about that. But you do, you have your sandwich that you do, the um, Happy Bowl sandwich. That's a big one. I'm a good sandwich maker, but I'm yeah. not much of it. I don't like to cook. I don't, it just You're an orderer though. He he's a provider when it comes to postmates. That's for damn sure. Yeah, make a good order. Last night surprised me with Arby's curly fries. Who saw that one coming? Yeah. I don't like cooking. Um, okay, this is from Charlene. Oh, her Twitter name is It's Mox Time. That's you. Mm-hmm. What is the best idea for a dream date night for both of you? Dream date night. I said that weird. Dream date night for the both of you. I don't know, kind of over the dream date night part of. What would you say is our night. best date that we've ever had? I don't even know where we went on a date. <laughs> we have, I mean, but we, we have. went a bunch of places and did a bunch of things. Those are dates. That counts. We had some really good times in New York when we would just like bop around the city, check out different restaurants. Hop on and off the subway. Oh you know? my God. I actually see those were good dates. But and if you can't have fun doing that with the person you're with, then that's not. You shouldn't be with that person. It's time to move on. We've never done like anything elaborate for dates ever. We're very low key. Like we're pretty boring when it comes to like. Like like the whole concept of a date that you see on TV. Like, oh, we're going to go to a dinner and a movie and this. Like who actually does that in real life? Do people actually do that? I don't think they do. Have they ever? Well, no, I think that they do because I think a, a lot of like. And I can actually attest to part of this, especially now during quarantine and all that. So there's some days that I'm like, Oh man, I wish like, I wish we were going somewhere to do something merely. So I had a reason to put on makeup and brush my hair and like put on a cute outfit. Cause otherwise I'm just in sweats and like looking like a schlub, like 90% of the time. That's different. Cause we're already married. That's just like married people going to movies. Yeah. Know? But I think it's still the same. If you're like, if you're like in a relationship and you're like dating or like you're going out on dates or something, you know? I don't know what the kids do nowadays. I think they just send each other like dick pics and <laughs> That's egg, so egg, scary. eggplants and stuff. Mm-hmm. Eggplants and the water emojis. Then I don't know. I don't know how it happens. We hope you enjoyed the best of oral sessions. Follow Renee on social media at Renee Paquette and be sure to subscribe to her YouTube channel. Also rate and review this podcast.